retail has changed and we've all seen it. It like it's just been it has been turned on its head in the last year. Not that it we didn't see it coming. Like retail's been going through this huge shift over the last few years, but COVID really accelerated it. And the way that consumers expect to interact with their with brands is so different. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Ashley Barbie. Ashley is the founder of Fashion Tech, a global community for people at the intersection of fashion and technology. Fashion Tech provides programming through speaker series, networking opportunities, ongoing industry analysis, and so much more. Ashley is also the retail strategy lead at Tulip, which is a mobile retail technology SaaS company at the forefront of omni-channel experiences. In this episode, Ashley and I chat about scaling a community with integrity, mistakes to avoid when just starting out, and the future of retail and how community plays a massive role in that. So let's jump right into it. Hey, Ashley, welcome to Create Community. Thank you so much, Marsha. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation and to be be part of what you're building. Me too. I'm so excited to chat with you and to catch up. So yeah, let's jump right into it. I'm really curious about your early journey and how you actually found yourself becoming a community builder. So can you share a little bit about where you grew up and did you ever feel like uh, you didn't belong where you were? Yeah, for sure. So it's so interesting being called a community builder because I feel like I've ended up in this place without even intentionally meeting meaning to get here, but it just ended up being such a natural journey that this conversation reflecting on it has been super interesting. So I'm originally from Edmonton. I, I, my husband and I moved to Toronto seven years ago. And even like just right from like my earliest years, I always knew I wanted to work in the fashion space. I even more than that, like I've always been really interested in retail and just this idea of how you sell and market and create basically a, a commercial enterprise. And I could never really find that niche in Edmonton to tap into and to really explore and use that as kind of like my, my place to build that community or find those, those people with that sim- similar interests. So right from an early age, I actually had always wanted to move to New York. I always knew there was this robust fashion and apparel industry there. Long story short, I did not move to New York, but I did eventually move to Toronto, like I mentioned. And I, looking back now, I do realize like as pivotal as growing up in Edmonton was to shaping who I am, eventually moving to Toronto and really finding my community with that industry here has been such a breath of fresh air and has really allowed me to flourish in a way that I never had really experienced previous to to that move. That's really cool. So when you got to Toronto, was it sort of like instant? Like, did you feel like, okay, I found my place, this is it? Or like, how did you go about actually finding your community here? So I was actually transferred. So I I started with Holt Renfrew in Edmonton. And when I started, I knew that that was how I would end up in Toronto. So I started with Holt in Edmonton. Then I was transferred here. So I already had a foot into the fashion industry as part of that transfer. But what I actually had not realized until I until we moved was that there was this amazing tech and startup community in Toronto. And that was actually what really got me interested. And I realized that there was this amazing community of entrepreneurs who were taking technology and really um, like reinventing or restructuring entire industries, including fashion. So once I got here, like I already had that foot into the, in the fashion industry because of my work with Holtz, but it was learning that there is this tech and startup 
in community that I could tap into and start exploring and become a part of that was really exciting and that I hadn't even known existed prior to that. And I think discovering that there are these two industries that were so similar, but separate was really what sparked my interest and allowed me to um, explore these new communities I had never been part of. That is really cool. Um, Yeah, I think like Toronto is such a great city for for tech and for entrepreneurship. And it's really interesting, like here, a lot of these industries do collide and in really exciting ways. So that's, that's really cool that you got to experience that. How did you did you start your career right away in fashion with Holtz? Or did you do anything sort of in between? And did you study fashion in in post secondary? I always knew I wanted to be in fashion. Like I remember even in high school, I worked at this independent um, apparel boutique in West Edmonton Mall. It's like the mall in, in Western Canada, you probably heard of it. And so even from like an early age, I knew I wanted to work in in fashion. So I worked at this boutique. It was amazing. I loved it. And then when I went to university, I did a Bachelor of Science in Textiles and Clothing. So basically, the two programs in Canada are Human Ecology at the University of Alberta, which has a textiles and clothing specialization, or the Ryerson Fashion Program. And just from like a pure economics perspective, it just made more sense to do my my science degree at, at the U of A in Edmonton. Um, but even then, like I, I studied fashion. And then as part of that program, which I really enjoyed and got a lot out of, I did my practicum with a, a company called Gravity Pope. They're a footwear chain that's based out of Edmonton. Their head office is in Edmonton, but they have locations across Canada. And then from there, um, from that job with my practicum, I started working for them full time. Then I joined Holt Renfrew and then it just kind of took off from there. So I was really fortunate that way where I actually did get into the fashion industry and to more corporate roles, like right out of university. And from there, I was able to just start building my career right out the gate, right out of university. Super cool. So you mentioned in Toronto, you started seeing these two fields kind of converge fashion and tech. So I, I think that's the perfect segue to how you started your community, Fashion Tech. So can you share a little bit about why you created Fashion Tech and what is it? Yeah, for sure. So I'll start with what it is because the how I started it, it is a little bit of a, a longer story. So Fashion Tech, it started as a really just a community networking event where people who work or are interested in the intersection of fashion and technology can come together, network, meet other people in the, in the industry, and really just um, share ideas and learn about the other work that other people are doing. So it's... I started started it originally because I realized that there were lots of really interesting companies or startups in Toronto that were working at the intersection intersection of fashion and technology, but there was no way for us to meet each other and to share ideas and just really learn about what was happening in the industry. So I basically started it as a one-off event because I wanted to go to an event, then I couldn't find one. So I figured I might as well just start this one event. And then it kind of took off from there. But in terms of how I started it, so after Holt Renfrew, so I Okay, so I came to Toronto with with Holt Renfrew. It was great, but I was learning that there is this amazing tech startup ecosystem here. And so I actually really wanted to become part of that ecosystem. So I left my job at Holds and started my first startup. It was called Shoplux. It was a luxury e-commerce website for consignment or pre-loved handbag, designer handbags, footwear and apparel. So that was six years ago. And I do like to say I was a little bit ahead of my time. So I did that for a year, but it was just really hard to get it off off the ground. So it's a marketplace setup. I needed both the, the inventory and the buyers and to bring that together. And it was kind of a challenge to scale that. So 
that was my the startup that I had had founded and wasn't able to scale it as well as I would have liked. But then I joined another um, startup called EduSite, which is an education technology startup, totally different than what I had been doing. And that really got me into the, the tech space. And then from there, I, I joined a company called Spexy, which where we did 3D printed optical frames. And that was really at the intersection of fashion and technology. So through that whole journey, I realized that there were other people like me who had a really strong fashion background, but that were slowly turn, starting to transition and say, like, there is a tech angle to this industry and retail really does need tech and innovation, not only to thrive, but just to sustain itself. Like it's such as like a laggard in terms of tech and innovation that a lot of us were kind of going like, we need to take a look at this industry and kind of bring tech into to reinvent it. So when I started fashion tech is because there was slowly this, this growing shift towards the intersection of fashion and technology, but there was no way for the people who work in the industry to come together. And what was finally the catalyst for me to start that very first event is I had gone to a fashion tech conference in New York. And I realized like half the people I met at that conference were from Toronto and Montreal, like to the point where on my flight home, like half the people on the flight had been at the conference. So it seemed crazy to me that we were flying to New York when like so much of the industry was already here. So I started off as a one-off event. And from there, it's just continued to grow as that industry and that intersection of fashion and technology has continued to to grow. So a little bit of a, a long story, but it was a very long long iterative process to get here to start the the organization. I feel like that's like that's such a commonality between so many communities like a like you started it based on your own need and then just seeing that there were a lot of other people that were seeking it. That's really funny that like you went to New York and then so many people were were from Toronto. I feel like I've experienced that with a lot of other tech conferences were a big thing. I think until collision and you know we started really getting a scene for it here in Toronto. Yeah, that's that's super cool. So when you first started, like, what did your first event look like? What was the vision and how did you make it happen? Like, what were the first steps that you took? Yeah, so that was three and a half years ago now. And so when I was in New York at that conference, I met a few really critical people that allowed me to grow fashion tech to where it is today. So I met a company called Tula. It's a retail technology software company, and then a couple of other startups. And so when I just like smaller startups, when I got back to Toronto, I phoned the the salesperson that I met from Tula and said, Hey, I have this idea, I want to start this, do this one off event, and I need a location, they just opened a new office. And so he said, Yeah, you can hold it at our at our office. And then I just started emailing people that I knew in the industry looking for speakers, people that I thought were running interesting companies. And so it ended up like literally just being an office, like a Tulip's office with three speakers from companies I thought were interesting. It was uh, the companies were Tulip, Cotton and Modiface. And then I just opened up the the ticket sales and Eventbrite and crossed my fingers that the tickets would sell. And I remember like, I think the capacity was like 50 people. Like it was a, maybe not even, like it was a small, small venue. And like, I think like, I literally only had to sell like 30 tickets to break even. But I remember like having like sleepless nights being like, oh my God, what if nobody comes? I'm going to be so embarrassed and mortified. And I think it sold out like two weeks ahead of time because the venue was so small and clearly there was a demand. But I just thought it would be like this tiny little event at an office. And then it just like, it turned out there was so much interest and there were actually so many like, I guess, small little companies in in the city that want to be part of it. So um, yeah, very humble beginnings. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so, I mean, that sounds very familiar with Fuck Up Nights, like very similar experience. 
sense. How did the community kind of start to grow and evolve? And when did you like start building a team as well? I've always run fashion tech as very much as a, a side project on top of my day-to-day job. So after, like, I honestly did that one event, just expecting it to be a one-off. And so I did the event, it was over. And then I was like, okay, great. That was like, you know, people came, like now I'm done. And then I kept getting emails from attendees asking when the next event would be. So then I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do another one. And that was the one at the Shopify office. And again, I think that one, the capacity was like, well, you would know better than I than I would. I think like a hundred and something. I think we would like push it to 150. Okay, that sounds that sounds right. I wanted I think it we might have had it at 120, 130. I feel like that's like the safe, like everybody's comfortable. We would like pack people in. Yeah, like I don't think we had standing room. We just had seating. So it was probably like 130. And like same thing, it sold out. So then I was like, okay, well, guess I'll do another one. And then like same thing. And like and mostly it was like people emailing after the events asking when the next one would be. And it was after the third one. So the third one we had at the spoke club. And I remember we had AV problems. So I realized if I was gonna do this, I had to take it more seriously and start like hiring professional AV. It was the biggest one by far. I think it was over 150 people. And it just kind of got to the point where I needed to make a decision if I was going to do this as like a more professional thing with like a proper logo and domain and all of that. Um, or if I was just going to kind of let it run its course and leave it partly because I realized that as a brand, it was going to start reflecting on me personally. So I just need to make a decision one way or another. So it was after that third event and I realized there really was some momentum behind it and that there really was this push to keep going was when I really decided to kind of um, formalize what I was doing and like registered as the, as an organization and bought the domain and set up a proper email address and all that kind of stuff. And that was when I started, I don't want to say building out a team, but working really closely with some strong uh, with the, the fashion schools in the in the city to bring in strong volunteers just to help on kind of an ongoing basis. So that was kind of like the first version of, of fashion tech and it was like 100% local event uh, focus and that was probably for the first year and a half. And then after that, again, like this was just all happened really organically. I started hearing from organizations outside of Toronto. So in London and New York and like, so like fashion tech incubators or schools, they had kind of run across this community and they wanted to tap into it for whatever reason, whether it was like for student engagement or um, to recruit startups to their incubators. And so that was kind of like fashion tech 2.0, where I realized there was this opportunity to start building more of a global presence. And that was when I brought in like a true team where I have, so now there's four of us who run it. Um, Serena, Sydney, and Maha. We have volunteers that support each of our teams and it's run a, like a little bit more professionally where we each have our own portfolios and we really focus on having that global um, uh, piece and where we do research and analysis on where the industry is going and really try to support the industry as opposed to just doing having an event-based one-off or one-off event-based focus. So you've kind of gone through a few iterations, but this most recent one, um, just in the last, I want to say, well, it'd be almost two years now uh, when I brought in that team and we were really able to scale and and grow um, a little bit more aggressively. That's really exciting. It's, it's really cool to hear that it's, you know, it, it expanded outside of of just Toronto. And I'm sure, you know, the like COVID, like of course it must have been pretty tough with, you know, most of your events being in person, but what did that shift look like? And the 
did it ultimately end up being an opportunity? Like, was that the catalyst that helped you expand kind of um, more internationally? No. Oh, man, COVID. So we already had started to build our international presence prior to COVID. I want to say after about a year and a half in was when I started hearing from, um, it was more uh, fashion schools outside of Canada. Like I remember the first time it was University of Arts London had contacted me and I remember being like, you're in London and you want to talk to me? Really? It was like this great moment. Same with like somebody from New York. And I was like, really? Like me? Little old me? Great. So it was already kind of in place where we where I had the, the contacts and we were starting to explore how we could engage a global community a little bit more proactively, but it was still very much physical event focused. And then COVID hit and like obviously events just went by the wayside. And at the, like literally the exact same month that COVID hit, my daughter was born and I was doing my MBA. So it was just a lot, a lot happened, but it was actually ended up being positive because physical, physical, like in-person events are so much work to organize. And there was suddenly an expectation that everything would be digital and there would be, it would just be webinars. And just in terms of like the organization and the lift required behind delivering those events, it was so much more manageable, especially like with everything else that I had and being able to do that from home, that it was actually kind of a natural transition to start delivering events um, as webinars. The only challenge is that so much of fashion tech is really that community piece where people are networking and um, really interacting like one-on-one after the formal program. That was really where we, we struggled to kind of recreate that community feel and that um, community networking event with the with the online events so we've kind of relooked at our seasons like we we basically said like who was going to last for a good year or a year and a half so we relooked at the season and said like how can we deliver value to our community outside of just webinars because like people are going to get zoom fatigue and they are like no question so instead we started focusing on also really delivering um, insights and analysis on the industry because there's so much change happening as a result of covid that we really want to help people and provide them with um, insights on what that change looks like. And we also really focused on finding new ways to deliver that community piece outside of just a traditional like one one-sided webinar. So with some networking um, and coffee chat type things. But I definitely say would say like inter- we decided to look at it as an opportunity to really focus on expanding our that global presence. Like we already had those connections in like outside of London and New York, but our webinars are truly go- global now. Like we really tap into having a global audience. So I think at our our last one we had attendees like really long strong um, attendance out of London we had a good uh, proportion of people out of the EU lots out of out of the state so New York and LA I think India as well was pretty well represented so we've, yeah we've really focused on bringing in those those global attendees and also just like tapping into those those local markets and figuring out how we can work with local organizations so I would almost say it kind of like COVID forced us to really focus on driving that that global growth piece a little bit more aggressively than we would have without COVID and it made it more natural for us to start delivering global programming through the webinars as opposed to if we were trying Trying to do it in person and trying to set up in-person events outside of Canada. For sure. Yeah, that that's definitely not an easy feat. And especially as as a new mom to be traveling around like that to to like try to hit all those cities, that, that would be really tough for sure. Like I probably would have thought it was more uh, manageable or doable than it actually was. <laughs> I can imagine.
so tell me a little bit about the the networking that you're creating. I'm curious how like like I found the same thing with Fuck Up Nights was shifting to to virtual events. Like the content was really amazing. We were still able to find like incredible speakers. Actually, some speakers that maybe wouldn't have been available for our in person events. It's, it, would, it would be a lot easier for them to you know hop online and and chat about failure. Um, but the networking piece has been has been really tough, and I I really miss that from our in person events because I feel like that's sort of the magic piece of it as well. Like, of course, there's some in the chat and, you know, like using different event tools, you can you can create those different rooms and, you know, give the opportunity for people virtually. But you mentioned that you're doing some some coffee chats outside of your events. What what does that look like and how do you set it up? Yeah. So like, honestly, it's an it's an evolving it's an ongoing struggle. Like we're still trying new things to replace that community piece. Like you said, we have experimented with different event platforms. The very first event we did in COVID was just chat based. And we found that it was really missing that like the magic of being able to um, communicate one-on-one. So then we started using a platform called Hopin, which you're probably familiar with, um, that allows people to do one-on-one video chat outside of the formal event program, which was good. Like it definitely kind of, I guess, replaced the the networking piece from like a time perspective of the of the event. So we, like in, during an in-person event, you would have like the formal program on stage and then you would do one-on-one networking after. So we were able to replicate that one for one in the webinar environment. But again, it just didn't, it just felt a little bit forced. So now, so we're actually just launching this um, in June. So this is a new initiative that we're trying and we're just doing it instead of it being a set webinar type format where you have to dial in for set networking at this time, we're trying to make it more organic and we're we're doing coffee chats. So either going to be coffee chats or lunch chats where people are going to pair people up in the fashion tech community to do um, networking at a time that's convenient for them or for both of them just to have it like a more natural organic conversation about what's happening about in the fashion tech uh, community or industry in their local market. So that's going to take take place throughout the month. And instead of it being at a set day and time, we're just going to pair people up on an ongoing basis throughout the month so that they can keep networking with people uh, on an ongoing basis and in a more natural or organic way. So hopefully that will kind of bridge the gap that we're missing right now with, with the community building, but it's a challenge. Like I don't, it's a very iterative process and it's kind of the third version of trying to address that. Yeah. I mean, I think that sounds like a really interesting approach. I'm, I'm really curious to hear how it goes. I'm going to check back with you, but that, but that sounds awesome. Like it feels way less forced, I guess, or yeah, like it definitely feels a lot more organic. So what's your vision for the future of fashion tech? Well, first I hope COVID calms down and we can get back to some of the in-person like it's oh it, honestly like my vision is a hundred percent based on the assumption that we can start doing in person events again one day. I would like to continue growing fashion tech as that community hub for people at the intersection of fashion and technology. There really isn't a place for people who work in the industry to go and network and learn about what's happening in the future of the industry. So I would like to continue growing fashion techs, like the organization's um, presence as that go-to hub, but really on a global from a global perspective. So really just continue to build our our brand presence outside of Canada. I definitely want to get back to in-person events. And I so I, something I had planned for pre-COVID, but it's going to have to wait. I really want to start doing an annual summit, a fashion tech summit, where we can really all come together as a global community 
and learn about what's happening in the industry and and really build those those global connections. So continue, uh, really continue building out that uh, our presence as a global community hub. Continue growing or delivering industry insights. Um, really just provide immersive, engaging programming that our members find valuable. Yeah, with that summit, I mean that that sounds incredible. Hopefully, it could be all in person. But there's, I feel like the the word of of the year is, is hybrid. Nobody actually knows what that even means. <laughs> what, what, or what, what yeah. I want to know. I don't have an answer for you, but I think like, you know, it could be some kind of approach where like it is a digital summit, but then maybe there's like viewing parties or smaller in-person events and in all those major cities um, that you mentioned, or I don't know, some kind of combination of that. Like there's so many ways to approach it, but no one has really like done it yet. I feel like everybody's almost waiting for the other person to do the event first to see what happens. So I'm kind of just watching to see what happens in the the community and event industry before we we charge ahead full steam but the hybrid thing that's actually a good point i do that probably makes the most sense for now walk before we run but yeah it's it's going to be interesting the next few months i think are going to be very telling with covid we'll we'll see what happens and what's possible so i wanted to get some of your advice for community creators something that you kind of touched on a little bit is you know how you were able to engage partners and and local sponsors to be able to build out your community especially at the beginning you know, using those office spaces. Can you share how you actually went about approaching them and then figuring out how to structure some of those partnerships? Yeah, for sure. I never approach fashion tech as how do we position ourselves so that we can then prospect partners or sponsors. I always focused on fashion tech itself as delivering value to the community and then just setting ourselves up to be receptive to partnerships. And that's always worked. So like that, the first adventure, like I had to go ask um, for the space. But outside of that, like most of the partnerships, if not all of them, have been people in the community or, or organizations in the community coming to me asking to get involved because they see the value that we're that we're driving or delivering. So I think my, that's my biggest piece of advice is focus on how you're creating value. And if you are creating value, then those that support or like those sponsorships and partnerships will come to you because that organization wants to, I guess, kind of capitalize on that value that you're that you're delivering. That being said, like if you do need something, that's like a pretty straightforward ask, like office space for an event. I like just sending an email or picking up the phone to call is pretty straightforward because it's not a, it's usually not a, a big ask on their end. But like, honestly, like for the last three and a half years, the vast majority of the support that I've received has come from the people or organizations in the community who just saw the value of that, what, uh, what we were doing, want to be part of that. That's amazing. I feel like I've had a pretty similar experience with fuck up nights. And I think like if, you know, if it feels like you're kind of forcing it, then it's, it's usually not the right um, partnership and not the right sponsorship. But when it's, it's somebody that, yeah, if it's somebody that comes from within the community and, you know, they've, they've been to a few of the events, they maybe spoke at, at one of the events. That's, that's really a good way to start the conversation. Yeah. And I think like, I've seen like the partners that you work with and they're so well aligned with what you do. And I, so I would imagine that you've probably had a similar experience where I've been very um, cognizant or very um, careful about who I work with. And I would rather not work with an 
an organization if I'm a little bit uneasy and just keep fashion tech small and scale it slowly and do it with integrity than to try to do it really, really quickly where we're desperate for support. Because I just feel like that who you work with is so critical to like your organization's DNA that just doing it in a natural way where you're both finding value in that relationship is so important to the long-term longevity of the of the organization and the value that you're delivering the community. 100%. And I think you have to be really comfortable with saying no. I think, you know, as your community is taking off, there's you're going to see more and more interest. And sometimes like an organization just doesn't align and you have to be strong enough to just say, you know what? No, this doesn't, this is not going to work. Um, So I wanted to get some of your um, kind of like general advice for aspiring or fellow community creators. And are there any mistakes that you made along the way or any challenges (laughs) that you faced that, you know, you could, (laughs) yeah, who who hasn't, right? (laughs) Anything sort of jump out to you that you can like tell people to avoid? Yeah, for sure. So when I started Fashion Tech, like kind of like I said, I didn't start it with the plan of it becoming this like growing living ongoing organization. I thought it would be this one-off event. And so that one event grew into another, blah, blah, blah. So I never really sat down and set up the organization properly, like from a legal perspective until I was, I shouldn't say never. I didn't until I was pretty far down the line. And I remember actually talking to you at that point to try to get advice on like how you had set up Fuck Up Nice. Cause I remember going like, oh man, I need to like figure out what I'm doing. Even just like when I file my taxes, like what am I going to do? I don't know. So I would say figure that out up front. Like even if you do all the research, you figure out what type of corporate structure you're going to use. Um, and how are you going to like set yourself up as a legal ent- entity? Like how are you tracking all your receivables and, and all that kind of stuff? Like even if you don't use that information, at least you have that information should you need it as opposed to having to go back figure it out when not when it's too late, but when it's much more difficult to do. That would be my biggest piece of advice. Just like set things up properly from the beginning so that you're you're not trying to backtrack and, and redo it. Yeah, for sure. That was that was one of my big things as well. I actually one of my uh, fuck ups with fuck up nights was that it like it was very it was kind of in a gray area where it could work really well as as a as a not for profit or as a corporation. And it didn't really like for the community itself and the community experience and the events, it didn't really matter. Like I think a lot of people overthink it, me included. So my mistake at the beginning, I registered it as a non-for-profit. And as it went on, it just, it it wasn't making sense. Like it was too much paperwork and the, the requirement to build a board and all the stuff just didn't make sense for the scale that it was. It would have been a lot easier to run the, the legal and the taxes side of it through a corporation. It's, uh, you know, just for what it was. So I ended up shutting down the non-for-profit and, and creating a corporation and then running fuck up nights under that. But also if I had just, you know, considered consulted a lawyer and an accountant from the very beginning, I could have avoided that headache. So yeah, I would I would honestly give that same advice to just like set things up correctly from the beginning and talk to somebody else who's who's already done it. Like I remember when when we met and I gave you some of that advice, I was already like I was a few events kind of ahead of where you were and I was able to pass down a lot of those the mistakes that I made that you could avoid. Yeah. And I remember like I actually remember that conversation so clearly because I actually remember trying to find somebody else who was in a similar situation to me like building this community type organization and you're the only one so 
or anyone that I really knew of. So even just finding somebody in it who's building a similar type of organization because it's so niche is, I think, really important. Yeah, absolutely. Can't be can't be understated. So I'm really interested also like in the in this intersection of fashion and tech and the, the intersection of community with that as well. So why do you think that retail and fashion brands should build community and how could they think about that in a post-COVID world? Yeah. So, you know, I think retail has changed and we've all seen it. It like it's just been it has been turned on its head in the last year. Not that it we didn't see it coming. Like retail's been going through this huge shift over the last few years, but COVID really accelerated it. And the way that consumers expect to interact with their with brands is so different to, to the expectations two years ago. Like this expectation of for authenticity and to be able to communicate directly with a brand and or with the organization and understand what it stands for and why it does what it does and do you align with those values? That all comes back to community. And that's what consumers want from brands is that that authenticity piece. So I think fashion brands need to build a community to build that experience that can, or that authenticity that that customers expect of them now. Like just hiring an influencer to wear something isn't enough anymore. Like they want to communicate directly with the brand and they want to understand what it stands for. And that's all comes down to community. Absolutely. Are there any like examples that kind of jump to mind, like any brands that you really admire for this? So I was going to say uh, direct to consumer brands have been really good about that because there's no middleman, like there's no wholesaler in between who's kind of the intermediary. DDCs are really good. But I think like another one that comes to mind and it's, it's been around for a long time is Patagonia. Like they, you know what they stand for. People who shop their product are aligned with those values and people who use Patagonia or purchase Patagonia's product really are a community unto themselves because they know that by purchasing that item, they are aligned their vision for the planet and, and um, how we, how we're supporting, I guess, dealing with global warming and all that. But I think Patagonia got it right where they, they were very vocal about it and, and they were able to use their product as a way to build that community with their consumers. Yeah, they're, they're doing an awesome job at it. Also, Lululemon kind of jumps to mind for me as well. And I, I love what they were doing. Like pre-COVID, I remember they were opening some spaces, like one of their stores in, in Toronto, like one of their major stores on, on Queen Street, they opened uh, something like the attic where they would offer uh, like free community classes and kind of like a, a workspace. And it was so well integrated. And I know that they were scaling that. And I think they did a lot of cool stuff virtually as well to actually like bring people together who are sort of interested in in similar things and you know their personal fitness and their health yeah that's a that's a great example and actually that reminds me so we're actually just getting prepared to release our annual report so we're this is new as of the season but we're releasing a, an annual report looking at the state of the fashion tech industry and just some of the key drivers that are that are shaping the industry so we're releasing that report early june and it's based on four pillars that are kind of like the key key pillars or key uh, influences in the industry right now. And one of them, those key pillars is collaboration between consumers and brands. And the and then also um, ambassadors are more important than consumers. And we're using Lululemon and their ambassador program as our case study for that. So I think it definitely like ties back to what we're looking at in fashion tech and how the industry is changing and just like overall where the conversation is going. Yeah, it's such a fascinating world. I'm, I'm really excited to read that. So I want to jump into your personal community 
I think it's so fascinating how folks that have built communities actually navigate their personal communities outside of what they've built. So outside of fashion tech, what other communities are you part of and why are they meaningful to you? And this could be anything. It doesn't have to be like professional related at all. Sure. So I'm a big runner and I have been for because well, a very long time. So the there's a couple of running groups that I'm part of that I would say are, are my community. Not even that like I'm have like super close relationships with the other runners, but it's just like I know that these people get it and we have a, like a similar outlook about why running is important to us and all of that. So um, definitely my my running community. As a new mom, I shouldn't say, I don't know when how long you're considered a new mom for. My daughter's one now, but I've discovered this community of parents. I did not realize what how um, deep the bond between parents, especially new parents is. So tapping into that community has been like just life-changing especially over the last year and becoming a new parent during covid that's been a huge one and you know for for all that i said about like wanting to come to toronto after i left edmonton and all that i would say like the vast majority of the people i'm connected to in toronto are from edmonton or winnipeg and it's kind of like this its own networked community that i didn't realize existed because like everybody kind of knew each other from from having moved from edmonton it's that community where i kind of able to stay connected to my roots but also um, connect with people who move to the same city for very similar reasons has been really important to me as well. So that's great. That's awesome that you still stay in touch with with that community. That's that's where your roots are, and you you don't want to lose that, even though it wasn't you know the right fit in terms of career. That's that's awesome that you keep in touch. So I'm curious how you choose your people. It's kind of it's kind of a random question, but uh, when you think of you know the five to six people that are closest to you, like your friends, do you feel like you look for certain values and characteristics or qualities in them? Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So I had never really stepped back to think about that. Um, but like at the end of the day, like I'm just thinking about who I who I've kind of become closest with over the last few years since basically like restarting our lives in Toronto. And I think it's just really people who are genuinely they're so genuine people, genuinely themselves and humble. And I feel like I've gravitated towards those people because I feel like I can be myself like with all of my flaws and and just being like totally transparent about the ups and downs of my life without feeling like I have to always like show them the best version of myself with people who I can feel authentic with because they show that version of themselves. That's really great. And my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? I think to me, like especially within fashion tech, the context of fashion tech, I think of it as support. It's a place that you can go to to get support by your peers and like people who are really in a similar situation that you are. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's that's such a great definition. Awesome. Ashley, thank you so much for joining me. It was so much fun to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thanks so much. I had such a great time chatting with Ashley, and I hope you felt inspired by the conversation. You can connect with Ashley on LinkedIn at Ashley Barbie, and you can learn more about fashion tech at fashiontech.ca. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off.
A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media. 